We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers freaking collapsed in Oklahoma City yesterday, blowing a 26-point lead. I believe the stat was 230 straight wins with a 25-plus uh, point lead. Darius, I, I saw a team that was actually very hot, playing very well early in that game. Oklahoma City is obviously not good. They are rebuilding, uh, arguably tanking, perhaps the, the worst roster in the league. And we we made them look that way over the first 18 minutes or so of that game. And I saw a team that let its foot off the gas for a pretty decent stretch of, of that game, being totally fine, not rotating on at all on defense, not a, a step late or anything like that, like just saying, fine, we'll give you this open three. We're going to take a lot of jumpers, cutting a lot of corners. And then when they tried to get it back, which I think you and I may have different lines for where we thought that they tried to, you know, OK, we're going to try to bring it back in. They couldn't summon what they needed to summon to get that that victory. So what did you see, man? What were your main takeaways from that collapse in, in Oklahoma City? I mean, there, there's so much, man, like I hate to be so big picture, big picture without LeBron and without some of the depth that the team has, this team is going to struggle in very specific ways. Like, yes, big picture in a more like putting my thumb on it with this specific group of guys as constructed right now. I'm still waiting for them to act like defense matters to them in a real way as sort of like a pillar of their identity. And I said this in our off-season pods. I got animated at one point because we were talking about the Nets or something. And Peter might have been you who said, well, how are the Nets going to guard anyone? And I said, how are the Lakers going to guard anyone? And I think I was sort of animated at that point, not upset at the idea, but just like, I want to see it. And five games in, I ain't seen it yet. Mike, you were there. Th there, was a, there was a stretch in time where I thought 
One of the reasons why the Lakers got off to such a good start, I think, wasn't just that they were hitting shots. It was that they were getting stops. And stops are going to stimulate the Lakers' offense because their their half-court struggles are going to skew in a very certain direction of jump shooting is going to be a problem unless their guys are hitting. If Monk is hitting, if Melo is hitting, that's great. But if those guys aren't hitting, then they need to generate shots in the paint. And the best way for them to get shots in the paint isn't by running a thousand pick and rolls in the half court with Russell Westbrook where everyone goes goes under. He can create that way, but the best way to loosen up the defense is in transition. And you don't run off of made baskets in this league. You don't. So you have to get stops. You have to force turnovers. You have to get rebounds and you have to commit to getting out in into the open court. And I thought early, Mike, the team defended well. And because they do not have a defensive identity yet, when they tried to summon it back, it was, okay, well, we'll just get it back on offense. And Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, they made the worst possible choices in terms of, okay, well, if we're going to get it back on, on offense, let's get it all at once and let's shoot threes. And let's get back to burying the team. And... I guess I'm taking a frustrated Darius, tone right now, but Darius, it, we took we took 30 jumpers in that second half, and I I, I counted like 18 of them were short. That, that's going to be a big part of my argument in a moment. Is just that like we did not have a lot of legs. We got a lot of old guys playing a lot of minutes. If we want to talk about the context of this specific game, I'm totally happy giving the context for this specific game and basically saying all of these reasons contributed to this specific loss. Right. But this is a bigger thing, but, but a bigger picture. But for me, the bigger picture is five games in, I'm looking for things that I'm looking for specific things that I have not seen yet. And I think these specific things are important towards the long term goals of the team. And sorry, Mike. You were on the ground here and you had to travel with the team. You were probably a little bit tired. Were there things that you saw that separate between what happened in this game versus maybe some season long trends? Are you more of, okay, well, let's dismiss this a little bit from because of contextual factors or are you more like, okay, well, I'd like to see some different stuff with this team than what we've seen through five games. I think that the two of us tweeted around the same time that it was going to be a long flight home. Yeah. And this was when it, when it settled in later in the fourth quarter that they weren't going to make that comeback. And really it was, it was, you know, quite late, right? Because they had the three attempts to try and tie it up with the three pointers that were all quite off. And the basketball gods, Mike, they said yeah, no. I, I thought that when Melo stepped into an open three, like I feel pretty good about my chances, Carmelo Anthony stepping no. into an open three. The, the basketball gods swatted that no, shit down, man. No, no, the <laughs> ghost like, of, no, you're not winning this game. No. no, no, the ghost of defensive rotations blown past said, <laughs> said nope, we're, yeah. we're, we're blowing yeah. this ball away from the basket. I right? Think, he sat on top of the rim. I think even there, you're we're still glossing over the main thing that happened. But so on the on the flight home, I had the chance to watch Westbrook's um, Showtime documentary film, and it really tells you everything that you need to know about Russ. And to me, I'm looking at not just the Thunder game, but this back to back as the Russell Westbrook experience. So this is what we saw with no LeBron and with AD 
really played pretty well overall, um, but was a bit hobbled, you know, some with the sore knee and just the, all these new guys and all the injuries. This was the most Russ that I think that we'll see throughout the whole season. This was just Russ flying at you all over the place, but also Russ being reckless at times. And so his 10 turnovers are to me what were the real thing. Um, that changed that game and that that led to some of the defense to an extent and but you have to sort of this is what uh, what I get if you guys get a chance to watch the film um, if you if you happen to have showtime Russ so wants to win and so wants to uh, to protect his identity and the way that he feels about basketball that the with the pedal down he acknowledges, you know, in the documentary that sometimes it does go a little bit too far, but he doesn't want to change that um, because he doesn't want to change what drives him and what what's made him who he is and what's gotten him to that point. So I thought Russ was the thing that got them the lead early for the most part. He was just flying into the paint. He must have thrown alley-oops to at least four teammates. Uh, he's he's getting to the rim. So in that in that first quarter, right, Russ is plus 15, just like Monk and just like Bazemore. And and it's looking easy. And the rest of the team is feeding off of that energy. And they're like, OK, let's go. And and so this this gets them to that lead, along with A.D. just completely dominating inside. But then uh, once it starts to get a bit, little bit loose, Russ is still kind of recklessly attacking. And then the turnovers start to mount. And then the the defensive identity that Darius alluded to isn't quite there with where Russ is with this team. And so I thought that fed off of it as well. And I, I know it's not just about Russ because he also in a lot of ways won the Spurs game by finishing brilliantly at the rim. And he stopped getting to the rim in this game. I, Pete, to, to kick this to you, I tweeted out later in the fourth quarter, only five of his 17 attempts came in the paint in OKC, whereas in San Antonio, 18 of his 27 shots came in the paint. And so I, I thought that that plus the turnovers were the things that kind of switched the, how the the framework of what the game was happening and, and why the Lakers ended up losing to an extent. It, it certainly was. And we're going to have to account for the unders. You know, Popovich decided to go over the screen on Russ. And that's the formula. I keep talking about the three decisions on ball screens in particular of what does the defensive guard do? What does the defensive big do? And then what does that weak side wing do? And when one of those decisions are encouraging the drive, Russ can work in those conditions. It's the when everything is the guard goes under, the big is in a drop, the weak side wing is dropping into the paint. Like that's what kind of creates those those conditions for for clutter. And that's what we saw, especially in the second half. OKC started going under more effectively. I think their I think their scheme was to go under the whole game. That is sometimes easier said than done. And obviously, uh, Vogel's been talking a lot about our screening angles, D, and the idea of like you have to set screens with your body positioned in a certain way to not let the defenders go under. So there's this whole game of cat and mouse that's really cool and interesting, but ultimately that is going to be the formula. We are going to shoot a lot of jump shots in uh, on our ball screen game if Russ is the, the primary ball handler in half-court situations. That's why, D, I think it's so important. I've been thinking a lot these first few games of the season in this whole process of trying to find, figure out what is this team? What are we, what are our natural tendencies? And to me, Russ is our, our pace setter. And I, I view it a little differently than Mike in terms of like, I wanted him to be more aggressive over the middle portions of that game that there wasn't enough, like, like we have to run with Russ and some of his turnovers. I don't know if you saw, he got frustrated with Dwight. They tried, he had back-to-back -back turnovers on lob attempts to Dwight and 
Dwight is not rolling with him. You know that famous play with Kobe and Powell in game two of the 2009 finals where Powell gets the and one and Kobe's talking, you were right there with me. We were right there together. That that matters. And so like Russ is so fast that when you roll, when you're the guy who sets the screen and you're rolling with him, you got to go, man. You got to sprint toward the basket on that roll. And that's one of my concerns with our our bigs, right? Is it they're just older. It's, it takes them a little longer for them to roll on that. But it's part of a bigger idea, D, of we need to run with Russ Ideally, but we're also looking to do that right now with old guy. Carmelo Anthony played what, like 60 minutes over the course of 36 hours or something like that. He that wasn't his only airball, that shot, right? Monk airballed a three short in that fourth quarter. So we don't have, I think, necessarily the legs and the guys to run with Russ right now. But in terms of a bigger overall seasonal way of looking at it, like that idea of run with Russ and, and like of running. And in, in just that the physical act of running is going to be really important to this team. We're going to be good when we're running and we're going to be bad when we're standing around. I go back to the idea, though, that if you want to if if you really want to run, you got to commit to playing defense. Yes. And it's just like it can't be like, oh, let's just inbound the ball faster. And maybe this makes me a Frank Vogel lackey, but he is the head coach of the team. You know how he wants to play. And I got defensive a little bit about Phil Jackson as well, like during Phil Jackson's run, like towards the end of the time where it was sort of just like, okay, well, well, the offense looks a little bit out of date towards the end of Phil Jackson's run, right? Where it's just like, oh, two guard front and oh, look at, look at the ball denial to second side actions, right? Because you, you know that they want to get second side in order to create some some of the offense and, and so it's it's the ball denial and then where's the weak side flash and like oh they're covering that up too and and then it was just like oh this this sucks now basically was like a lot of the vibe around the team towards the end of Phil's run and I think there's a certain amount of that going on with Vogel right now too with the like oh well ugh Another Russ Rondo lineup like, oh, why didn't Avery Bradley play? And and it's just like but some of this stuff is just the limitations of the team right now. And so many guys who are missing. But to get back to the idea that they got to defend, they have to take defense seriously. Well, the question is, do you, like, how long do they have to take it seriously for? No, right? all the time. All the sure. time. But they're not. That's not going to happen. That's well, not going to happen. Well, then they're not going to win anything significant this but season. But, but Darius, there have been plenty of very good teams, even championship teams, that go on defensive runs, right? That do have these long stretches, especially during the regular season, especially against bad teams. Now, we have not established anything that we Tell are me the last one. that, right? Tell me the last one. The Golden Tell State Warriors did this all the time. No, right. The go- the even State- even our Lakers teams, even this Lakers team over the one that won the title, we'd be bad against those against those teams. And then those we would teams, turn it on. Those teams were top ten defensive teams. Hundred percent. I'm five. not saying no. And so there's I'm a commitment. So there's a commitment. There's a commitment to defense there, sure. man. There is a. There is a. This is a critical part of our identity. You don't get to be top five in the league at anything. Unless that's super important to you. I have not seen them value deep. You're not going to be a top five defensive team by going on one defensive run every game. 
Of that, course. Th- that's not how you do it. Oh, I don't think we're going to be a top five defensive team. And, and so I'm saying, how much do you have to care about it? You have to care about it. You mm-hmm. have to. The closest team to me that would have been in that realm was like the LeBron 2017 Cavs. or 18 Cavs, right? Like that, that version of the LeBron Cavs where it was just like, oh, they're super reliant on Kyle Korver and mm-hmm. Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, well, we've got some defensive pieces there with LeBron and Tristan Thompson and maybe some J.R. Smith, but it skewed way more offense than defense, right? Mm-hmm. But- that team was a juggernaut offensively. And this team has not shown me yet that they can be that. They don't have the shooting. They don't have the, like, they don't have the pieces in place yet. And A, because they haven't played played together. But that coach, that team is not this team. That team wasn't coached by Frank Vogel. There's a certain amount of, you're going to be, you have to take on the identity of your coach. The coach yeah. wants to play a certain way. And, and so... Care about what the coach cares about yep. is my point. I, I think this still goes back to the roster and all the discussions that we had about 3 and D versus D and 3. And I liked the D and 3 model around your two stars. And because when, you, when you're trying to get guys that are more 3 or take the 3 out, just more offense, which would now be mellow. And during the regular season, Rondo. So that's two guys that played a combined 46 minutes uh, in OKC. And even like Malik Monk, right, who was amazing offensively, certainly in San Antonio, only had eight shots. I would have loved to have seen him take more than eight shots. Uh, he, he made four of them. But, you know, he's certainly skewing a lot more towards offense, the defense. So that left you what? It left you Bazemore and AD as your defenders, plus the two bigs uh, who were sort of in and out of the lineup. And then Russ, who skews more offense than defense. So like Frank Vogel... He didn't, the plan was good defensively, you know, he, but if you give him none in THT and you get a little bit more of those guys, then, then that many minutes from Melo who played 31 and that many minutes from Rondo, then all of a sudden, and certainly LeBron. Now again, LeBron in the playoffs, different from LeBron in the regular season, but he'll give you, he'll give you a good presence there. That's going to skew you well more towards what you want, Darius, than what I think Frank or any coach is going to be able to get accomplished with that roster. Uh, on that night. And that's it. That's it, right? Like, it's a personnel issue. This was the third game in four nights. And you're absolutely right. It's an attitude, right? Like, this is important to us as a team. But my point is not to say that, like, you only have to play defense for, you know, 12 minutes of the game and we're going to be so good on offense that we will be able to win games as a result of that. But my point is that teams over the course of the season and will – kind of manage games, right? You're like, you're not going to get a a high-end team is not going to play great defense against OKC for 48 minutes. Now, the, the Golden State Warriors played them before us. And part of how that game went, right, was the first half, they're doing the same thing that we are, right? They're giving up these wide open jumpers and then they tighten it up for long enough in the second half. Our game was the opposite of that. And this happens all the time against those really bad teams, right? Where you go up early and then you kind of pack it in. And so, with these particular players, this is my argument, is with Rondo getting big minutes, with Carmelo Anthony playing, he's playing like 28 minutes a game so far this season. Whatever the plan was going into this season, I guarantee you Carmelo Anthony playing nearly 30 minutes a game was not part of it. And so when Carmelo Anthony is having his 
third game in four nights. And I don't mean to pick on Melo. He's just sort of an avatar of a few of our players. This applies to Dwight. It applies to Rondo. It even applies to to Westbrook, LeBron, to a lot of the older guys on the roster is when that's happening, they're their approach to this type of game is going to be how much defense do we need to play to win this game, right? And now that calculation was off in this OKC game, but I don't take it as this like overriding idea of like what the team is defensively, but I do think that there's some dissonance. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So one of my thoughts with the defense, you uh, tweeted out this thread about Anthony Davis's defensive rating at the five versus the two big lineups and how we've been much worse on defense with those groups. They have been. They have been. Now, a big part of that is, and as you highlighted, are the personnel that we're missing. By the time we get to that portion of the game where AD is at the five, we are playing those Rondo Westbrook lineups, the you know two, three guys on the floor that are probably not in the rotation, and that constitutes a decent, decent portion of those minutes. But another part of it is there's a dissonance between our scheme and our personnel defensively that we're not switching a ton with AD at the five, certainly not for the the vast majority of it. I thought that really manifested itself in the San Antonio game where Jakob Pertl sets a career high running the same ball screen action over and over again, and we're late on our rotations every time. There's a concern for me in terms of like, care about what your coach cares about, is what you said in the first segment. There's a dissonance between how he wants to defend with two bigs and how we're best at defending with one. And I'm curious if you're seeing that as well. I do. And I don't. So I do within the context of the asks of your perimeter players with only one big on the floor are heavier. Right. And so within Frank Vogel's scheme, there's more decision-making and it's one of the reasons why the trap, the idea of trapping that we've talked about for a couple of different pods comes into play and looks effective. And it's because the decision-making out of those is more like, okay, pressure at the ball, weak side, and then it's like sell out, basically, and go to where you're supposed to go because there's only so many places you can go, right? There's a lot of either-or reads within a sort of drop system, right, where, okay, the big is at the level of the ball, he's dropping back, and so let's take Anthony Davis 
as the lone defensive big. He is one of the most brilliant drop players in the entire world, I think. He is, he reads the guard perfectly. He plays with great pace. He has super elite instincts and quick twitch ability with his hands and arms to like get up and and deflect passes or take away passing angles. And then he can elevate in order to take away the lob. And he can spring forward in order to contest your floater or your jump shot. He is just elite in a drop scheme. And it's why Vogel, I think, is sort of just like, yeah, we got the best dude in the world at this, basically. It's We're not an AD problem, right? It's like not, it's not, yeah. It is not an AD problem. It is a, can our guards and wings do everything else that you want them to do? And it's proving to be that you don't, they don't have the instincts. They, they just don't. Like, Monk in the Spurs game, Monk was late on so many weak side defensive rotations that it was comical towards the end of it. And so that's why when he had the stones to, like, bury a 30-foot three, I'm just like, oh, well, that's why he's in the game, not the other side. Right. right. Well, let me ask you this then, D. You kind of know that that's going to be the case with Malik Monk. You, you know do. that's going to be the case with Carmelo Anthony. So don't you have to adjust and account for that? I mean, yes and no. Again, it's just like this is the this is the roster that you have. And so, sure, you can adjust to them. I also think that this version of the roster isn't the version of the roster you're going to have. There's right. so many guys. That, Good point. Yeah, th there are so many guys out that it's just like we haven't had a chance, Mike, to sort of see what the full group looks like within this scheme. Right. And, and so and this is sort of. I don't want to say in defense, like in defense of Vogel, that seems strong, but it's like, I'm going to defend him some here. He, he is going to default to his most comfortable place when everything, when so much is in flux, right? Now, if he had his full group and he was playing this way and nothing was working, he would probably be in the room with his coaches and being like, well... WTF guys. Yeah. Right. We got to figure out like we got to figure solutions. out like we got to figure out something new, but he hasn't had that chance yet. And so guess what? He's going to default to doing the thing that he is most comfortable doing. And so if it's the choice between playing a second big or playing three guards or a six foot three guy at power forward, then guess what? Guess, guess which direction Frank Vogel is going to go. <laughs> right. right. Of course. And no one should blame him. For that, the limitations are too severe at this point. Agreed. And, and so I will be more interested in seeing how things go when the full group is there, if the full group is there eventually. Right. And so I'm willing to there's a little bit of a grace period built in for me here, Mike. But I, I do see where Pete's going, but I'm not on the raft with you yet, Pete, like, like I'm still sort of hanging back on the shore a little bit. I may have to swim out to you eventually to catch up, but, but I'm not there yet. I'll, I'll come pick you up if necessary. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Look, everybody on that flight uh, was, was frustrated. Okay. Going back, you're going to, it's not acceptable to blow a 26 point lead to a inferior team. There, there, there's even an understanding to some extent if you're playing some juggernaut that just like can't hit a shot early, but you know they're going to get back into the game. They, they cut it to 16 and a half, and then they make a run where you're kind of like, okay, this happens in the NBA more, but it's not supposed to happen with the talent that they had available. That it should not have happened. So it's a bad loss, period. 
what we're trying to do is understand if it informs us towards what is going to happen in the season. And the biggest reason why I think not a ton is because of the personnel that is out. But I think we have to start realizing that they're the cohesion level that the Lakers already had a disadvantage in has taken more and more hits. And as guys come back, so the situation you laid out with Malik Monk, if he's making these defensive mistakes over and over, they all know that they're watching on the film. They can see, okay, well, Kendrick Nunn's still is a little bit away when, but when he's, when he's back, then those are the types of things that, okay, you're getting those minutes. Because your Vogel is just not going to want to live with those amount of mistakes. And then maybe Monk plays some specialty minutes. And like, I still think he'll get to quit it. He'll get in there. You'll get to have him coming off some screens. But in the times where you have to, what Darius was getting to, where you have to get your stops, you got to have the guys on there that you can trust to make the rotations. Right. And so hundred percent, but it's the fact that he doesn't have that full deck to go to. And we don't know, it's still going to be, it's going to be a while until he has all of the options. And then at that point, how much time is there to build that cohesion up between those units? And then are your vets going to not be available for certain games? As we've already seen, LeBron has been unavailable for these last two. So there are there are definitely things that they that they have going on that are different from what I think we expected before the season because we weren't baking in this level of injuries. And, and, and it's it's a it's a concern. It's a concern for sure. I, I'm going to go back and look and I'll report my findings when uh, on tomorrow's pod. But I would venture a guess. AD got hurt against Denver on Valentine's Day. And I would venture a guess that we've had fewer than 10 games where we haven't been either missing a superstar or at least three rotation players. Like we've had a really rough stretch from the injury standpoint. But I thought yesterday's game was more indicative of like an attitude and mentality. And I think that kind of gets to what your point was, Darius, as well, about about our defense, right? About like have this matter, have this be like a part of your identity. And we're still establishing that. What I saw was a team that knew it was way more talented than the team across from it. And a lot of those guys individually, maybe not collectively as a team, because we're new, but a lot of those vets have played that type of game so many times in their career that there was a certain level of like, oh shit, I can get a little rest tonight. Like I can just take jump shots in this second half. And then when we were like, oh shit, now we're down eight because we've been been doing that on both ends of the floor that we didn't have enough to go back to. And this is to your point, right? About a defensive identity. The difference between say last year's team even, which did have a lot of new players, but but also a, a great deal more of cohesion and that defensive identity is we would get down 22 to two to start a game. I think we started a game against Memphis early on. And then it was our defense where we'd be like, all right, let's, let's get back into this. And we don't have that. And when you try to do that on offense, unless you've got a LeBron or like, to me, this is where LeBron separates himself from both Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook is that LeBron can create shots for himself at that high level down the stretch of games over and over and over again, which even to AD's like as amazing as AD's bubble run was the end of those games always go to guards between Shaq and Kobe. That's how it was too, right? Your perimeter player. It's really that type of territory for your perimeter player. So unless you have that kind of guy relying on that is, is going to be really touch and go. And we saw that with our, our jump shooting, but I thought like yesterday was more about that. Like, it was a, a reminder from the basketball gods that we are still building something. We don't have we don't have the bandwidth to be able to relax mid-game. Even against Oklahoma City, we have to keep building, keep our foot on the gas to whatever degree that we can. Yeah, and like I said, I 
I'm I'm going to hammer this point home for this thing for this single pod. The the lack of a defensive identity does concern me, and it's one of the reasons why I've been pushing for slight roster tweaks. The areas in which I think the Lakers could improve are related to like not having enough guys, right? For just sure. just in general. It's but hard to evaluate a roster, a roster too under those conditions. It like it definitely is, and because we haven't seen like, look, I don't even know if Ariza can play. I don't know if THT's defense is at the level it needs to be, and like Mike said, we won't even get answers to these questions until weeks after their return. We're we're not going to know on day three. Oh, like oh, great, Trevor Ariza's back. Oh, did you notice the Lakers are now the best defense in the league? Like, no, <laughs> not going to work that way. That's not how it's going to go, guys. Last year or last season, Pete, you made the baking the cake analogy. And some of what Mike was speaking to talks about that now. Yeah, this team still does need to bake a cake. And guess what? The oven's on back order. Forget like, oh, we have all the ingredients. Let's put it in the oven. And like, oh, like the oven is on a truck somewhere supply chain issues guys we have that's supply right. chain issues yeah, well, the Lakers- <laughs> it's in long beach bro yes. it's in long beach that's right it's in long beach back in the harbor yep yep so <laughs> there are structural issues right now that have to do with a lack of inventory and i'm i i'll be super interested in seeing how quickly it can come together and if an infusion of players who care about that stuff more really does matter right but the lineup data that I was spitting out earlier on Twitter, that stuff is interesting and it's somewhat informative, but it's also not to the point where I'm like super taking a bunch from it, right? But it's it's clear to me that one of the reasons why, to me potentially, one of the reasons why lineups with like Dwight and and DeAndre might be faring a little bit better is because those guys are the those are the two rotation players who aren't being extended beyond what they would normally have to play. Oh, this is a great point. And yeah. within the context of the game, right? No one's saying DeAndre's getting his two shifts a game, man. Dwight's getting his his two shifts a game. Those guys are going as hard as they can within the context of what they're what they're going to give on any given night, right? And yes. Dwight's level is higher than than DeAndre's, but DeAndre's picked it up the last couple of games, and it's like, oh, yeah, let, let me get after it. Well, and so another thing to mention there, this is also where I think Austin Reeves is going to have some struggles where you're now asking him to play on an NBA back-to-back, and he plays at a crazy intense pace in terms of just how much effort he's giving and how much energy he's bringing yeah! to... Right, Riggs? To the defensive end of the court. So that that happened in summer league, too, when all, you're playing every other game and he's trying to play his way. So you're now stretching him past what he might uh, be expected to do. This is such a great point. And it speaks to I'm trying to find the words to articulate that idea of running. It's so simple. One of the things I love about basketball is that you can strip it down to these very simple things, but are also very important. And like Kendrick Nunn is going to run. THT is going to run. LeBron James is one of the greatest runners of the court in NBA history. And so that idea of having guys being able to run, but like 
guys are only built to run a certain amount of time, especially your older players. I guarantee you, Carmelo Anthony is not built to run for 28 to 30 minutes per game at this point of his career. The same is true of, of even Arondo, who's been tasked with running a lot of the offense because of LeBron being out and, and other injuries. And so how much we're running is super important to me this year, D, that idea of guys that can run with him. And your point about guys playing the appropriate shifts is just not possible at this point with the the inventory issues that you're talking about. Yeah, and Pat Riley knew this best. It's like he wanted to be the best transition team in the league, and he understood in order to be that, you needed to get stops and right and, and defend rebound. and rebound. And you can't do one without the other. These things are symbiotic. They are the yin and the yang of transition basketball, right? Like you get the ball, you run with the ball. You don't run with the ball. You like you can't run with the ball and run with Russ until you actually get get the ball. And you can't run the way that, that you want to run, taking the ball out of the bottom of the basket and inbounding it. You you just can't do it. And I need to see a certain amount of defensive intensity and defensive want from this team and in closing it out against the OKC game to bring this full full circle there would have been a point in time where you would have brought in two or three guys last season and I won't name them by name because it's it's not important anymore they're no longer here right but you would have brought in two or three guys and those dudes would would have been like I'm getting up in to you defensively and I am knocking away a ball. I'm knocking it off off you. I am cheering and uplifting the team by doing something defensively, right? And then that leads to a dunk. And now it's sort of like the other team is back on their heels again. And it's like, ah, order is restored a little bit. And not a single player on the Lakers team did that yesterday particularly from a perimeter position anthony davis did a little bit dwight howard did a little bit but there was no one in tandem with them on the perimeter Mm -hmm. and and even against the spurs there was some of that where it was just like they made that run because all of the guys even the perimeter guys were doing what they needed to do defensively to funnel to the bigs in order to create the pressure that was going to lead to defensive stops and no one did it against OKC and that's why the run never came and that's why they got blitzed in in that sec- second half and uh, that's unex- like Mike said the term unacceptable that's unacceptable for a Frank Vogel coach team like the players have to buy in they have to take on some of that identity and you can't blame it on the coach right it's just like the players needed to do something on the court and they didn't And the sooner they recognize that there's a baseline level they need to bring, the better for this team's long-term goals, I think. Hopefully that loss was a lesson in exactly that, right? That idea of being able to maintain a defensive identity for, or establish and maintain it for longer periods of time. We got a feisty Cleveland team that just beat the Clippers and the Suns on their West Coast road trip coming up on Friday. And so that will be a a good test for us. I'm glad we are at this portion of the schedule. These are appropriate teams for the level of team that we are right now under the conditions, right? So let's hopefully get get a win on Friday. It will not be easy. We'll be back uh, on. We'll be back tomorrow to preview that and discuss some more about the Lakers and around the league. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. 
Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.